Thank you, everybody, for joining us on another episode of the Thunk Life Podcast. This is episode five. Please check out our previous episodes for more guests and uh, great interviews that we've had so far. And uh, my name is Cody Godet, Cody G underscore LA on Instagram. And today we have a very special guest, very excited to talk to him. And uh, it is Rick the Rocket Lindbergh. And uh, very happy to have you on the podcast, sir. Hey, thanks for having me. This is really fun and always great to see a new podcast take off yeah dedicated to knife and axe throwing so hoping that uh you know it's for the community so i'm hoping people are enjoying it and i've gotten some pretty good feedback so far but always hoping to improve and uh so just a quick little rundown for people that might not know you uh, just a very brief and we'll touch on more of these things i'm sure we'll go into in depth on all of them but uh founder and creator of the aim games which is very popular knife throwing champion yourself and fast draw and other and other titles done some tv spots and sold knives on tv trained astronauts in u.s marine corps and starting what might be the 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 best knife throwing museum on the planet knife throwing memorabilia as well so can't wait to get into all those things and uh so if you want to take it from kind of the beginning where you kind of got your start and we'll touch on all those things as we as we get there well sure mate i'm happy to talk about the sport and the art of knife throwing, which is really two distinct things, which I have a background in both. Mm-hmm. The uh, rundown you gave was really cool, and yet, really, this is just the modern age. I look back on where we've been, and gosh, I feel just simply old. <laughs> I think uh, <laughs> many of the people who are going to hear this today and hear me talking uh, are also going to feel a little old because we've been doing this a long, long time. Uh, mm-hmm. I heard the Joe Dara set that you did a yesterday or the day before when it first came out and uh joe also uh, uh for us i think og probably just means old guard but boy mm-hmm. we have known each other forever and this goes back to uh, in my case uh other than birth right so we all have some kind of strange way that we ended up throwing knives in the you know the dawn of time before yeah. the internet those of us yeah. go back that far and uh, in my case, I started as as a as a youngster. Um, my father trained with ja, with uh, Charles uh, uh, Grzanski in in uh, Japan, who was the original training partner of uh, Harry McAvoy, whose name I know you heard hmm, a fair yeah. lot. Others. Yeah. So there were kind of like the three sergeants in World War II. What they referred to: one was Skeeter Vaughn, the other was uh, uh, main name was. Um, was Harry McAvoy, guys who served in the military, had validated records in World War II and through knives, uh, either trained in it or threw them in combat or something that was validated uh, by the military. Yeah. Well, uh, Harry uh, had partnered with uh, Grzanski, who was the lead trainer for the Chicago Police Department and was very well for training in martial arts in Japan, not just weapons. And uh, so I was introduced to it that way, very young, and uh, kept it really quiet. I had not really thrown knives publicly in any way. Uh, It was sort of the way we were trained. It wasn't a traditional modern studio martial arts world. It was much more of a private thing. Mm -hmm. And um, it wasn't until I was 34. It wasn't until 1995 that out of the blue, I was discovered. It was kind of like, like the strangest struck by lightning moment you could ever expect um i was um it was really just kind of providence in my case i i I, again had not been doing it publicly in any way i uh actually was a 
completely addicted golfer uh, as a, <laughs> a young adult, uh, played down to a four handicap. I was obsessed, basically yeah. played, uh, you know, two 18 hole rounds every weekend day. Uh, plus during the week, as much as we could, my friends and I, and, you know, we were truly addicted aiming freaks. And, uh, you know, in our young 20s, I guess we'll say right through our teens and into our 20s. And uh, I grew up in Silicon Valley. And uh, when we had kids, you know, I, I had three kids. And when they were young, um, this is, you know, I, they were born in 88 through 93. So in those years, uh, my wife, you know, when they finally became like cognizant human beings, she came to me and said, hey, you know, you can't do this. You can't play golf every right. second of yeah. every weekend. It's not good for parenting. Mm -hmm. And she was right, and I knew it. So, uh, and I'm not a halfway guy. So, I literally quit golf. I never played again. Uh, I, at that point, I hung up my clubs, and I just couldn't do it halfway. Where, mm -hmm. you know, if I wasn't obsessed and going for another handicap point, then back with it. I'm not doing it. So, uh, and I never have played. I've never played again since. You've that been that day. way your whole life with different things, where you just you're all in or not in at all. Uh, no, not really. I mean, I, I think for the, I mean, I, I guess my life example would be, I don't think I've ever had a job less than five years. So in general, I, I, I tend to be pretty committed. But anyway, I, mean, I guess that sort of plays into the same pattern. Mm -hmm. uh, I wouldn't say I'm a normal person because I do kind of work and live extreme hours. But uh, but back to the story, they uh, you know that's when I picked up my knives. I had knives in storage. We lived in one of those San Francisco homes that was attached to all the other homes uh, right down the block. So there wasn't a lot of free space, but we lived on a hill. So I I put my a little knife throwing target on my little hill ridge in my backyard between two other houses and mm -hmm. throw knives again and uh, and. It, you know, trained hard uh, as I do with everything, but it was kind of like, what can I do for an hour and a half every day? That's, you know, not going to suck the life out of my family and keeps me at home. Yeah. So I, I really did train for quite a while hard. And then what happened was uh, the San Jose Mercury news, uh, the newspaper here, a uh, big newspaper, city, you know, million person city newspaper um, was running an article series. And uh, the article series was called uh, random access. And uh, on the second week of this article, where they would literally take this two-inch thick San Jose phone book and run their finger through it at random and jab it in there, and whatever name they came at, up with it, complete random, a million to one, uh, mm -hmm. they'd put you on the front page of the living section in public. That's incredible. And, and do it. And so they got, I got this phone call out of the blue, so <laughs> week two of this article, uh, and uh, what do you do? And I was like, well, I don't know. Uh, I was the senior vice president of uh, UBS with the stock brokerage uh, uh, on Sand Hill Road uh, doing an IPO specialty. They, they didn't want to hear about anything to do with business. Right, right? Yeah. I didn't want to talk about it. And uh, so I mentioned knife throwing. And uh, a, you know, a week later, uh, there I am on the front page of a two-page article in color throwing knives in a business suit and uh, you know, life on the edge, they called it. Yeah. Well, this was before the internet. This is 1995. So uh, a I don't know, maybe two months go by and I get a phone call from Bobby Branton out in South Carolina. They were, he, he saw my picture in the newspaper. You know, what do I do? Send me a video cassette tape of, of my workouts. And they were planning the first U.S. Nationals since World War II, right then, wow. I mean, like when that happened. So they, I sent him a video cassette of my workouts. He said, man, you're like ranked 10th in the country based on that alone. And and so I went out. I didn't know the rules. I flew out to South Carolina and met all these characters. That was how, where I met 
Pat Minter, the great Pat Minter, mm -hmm. uh, Bobby Bratton himself, uh, Chichi Whitecloud, who became my mentor for years after that. And uh, unbelievable. Uh, I got third. I got third in my very first tournament uh, without knowing the rules in the U.S. Nationals in 96. And that really changed my direction in life. Uh, Bobby came to me and just said, look, you got to, you know, if you would uh, take it west. Uh, we, we need somebody to, we need an emissary. And uh, I had the first color laser printer in the world back then. I think the, uh, nobody <laughs> had them yet. And uh, right. so I volunteered to take over all the newsletters for all the organizations because I had the equipment to do it. And I had some, you know, like Corel draw experience. And uh, and I did. So for years, I, I, I uh, at least several years, I did the AKTA newsletter. I also did the newsletter for Bob Karp out in uh, the, the Master of the Blade out in um, who trains the uh, in those days trained the Phoenix police. Mm -hmm. So that was kind of the birth of uh, my life in knife throwing uh, publicly. And uh, then I formed the AK, the Pacific Knife Throwers that year, which was a it was like an offshoot of the AKTA. And that was sort of my my birth of new life of organizing running tournaments, uh, live tournaments. And I began doing that with the Western States tournament for the AKTA in 1996. That is incredible. Just out of the blue phone call and then your whole life gets kind of transformed from there. Yeah, I really did. Uh, and I met so many great throwers over the next five or six years. Um, we migrated the PKT. First, we did the tournaments in the San Francisco area at the Pacific Rod and Gun Club, right in Lake Merced, right in, you know, in the main part of San Francisco, they'd let us do it there. And then um, we moved to Reno and did the Wild West days there. Uh, we, there was a lot of Wild West theme going on at the time. It wasn't mm -hmm. my thing. I wasn't a you know, cowboy thrower by any stretch, but the biggest tournament in the world was run by Bob Karp in those days. That was the IKT World Championships in Las Vegas that was done mm -hmm. in concert with the Wild West Arts Club. So you had this huge arenas going on in Vegas in those days. This is between 97 and 2005. Okay. Where, you know, you'd have 150 to 200 throwers there, uh, wow. certainly wow. over 100 at every event. And that was because we got these circus guy and rodeo performer crossover professionals who were there to compete in the world championships of of whip cracking and fast draw guns and trick riding with horses and uh also the um uh yeah, it was fast draw with guns it was also the uh trick ropers right so there were all these famous cowboys like monty montana and oh hmm. man the professor of trigonometry uh <laughs> fast draw shooting artist named uh, Joe Bowman out of Texas. These guys were in their 70s and 80s already, and we had the honor of training with them uh, and learning a lot over a period of many years uh, before they all, of course, passed on. So knife throwing was just a small part of these competitions, not the main focus, I'm guessing. We were 20%, right? So we had this yeah. huge arena, but man, you know, when you go to a tournament today, Joe mentioned it in passing a little bit, you know, we're throwing at much bigger targets. Uh, back then, the bullseye was an inch. You know? so, and then we went to two inches. So it was... You know, wow. I mean, guys like Pat Minter, who won numerous uh, live world championships in those days, he was doing it thrown into two inch dots uh, from these same distances. And we only had three, two, one. So if you can do the math, uh, the, when Mike Bainton came in uh, and took it over from me in 2005, 
uh, he wisely, uh, I think, added other circles and other scoring, went five, four, three, two, one, mm-hmm. in order to make it more adaptable for young people. But in the old days, we were cutthroat. When I ran these tournaments, and I ran it, I took over from Bob Carp in 2000, and I ran the World Championships to 2005, okay. and I handed it back to Mike Bainton. Uh, I, I handed it to Mike Bainton when he formed the Hall of Fame. Uh, I think... Um, one of the key, most interesting things about running nonprofits, which is what this is. I mean, you know, we, I mean, he did it as part of his business, but I've always done it for free. Uh, it is, you have to find somebody worthy to pass the baton to. Mm-hmm. You can't just end it. Otherwise, it just ends, right? Yeah, so yeah. Uh, it's a real trick. And I've done a fair bit of that in my lifetime, uh, mm-hmm. being like CFO of large charity groups. So for me, uh, that was part of the goal. And I had run it for a long time, uh, as I now have the end games. And I'm actively doing the same thing with the Indians, as you'd sort of figure after five years. Right. $130,000 of my own money going into mm-hmm. this. Um, I really wow. do want to pass it over and make mm-hmm. it a huge success. Mm-hmm. That it's time for the sport to grow up, right? So this is, uh, this is what I'm doing with my time as we transition the sport from these ancient stories of you know, how we formed mm-hmm. to where we are today. And I guess I can I can just keep going. Uh, one of the yeah, one of the the interesting transition that took mm-hmm. place over the years. Well, you know, I can backtrack and tell some old cool stories later. But the uh, the transition that took place was um, you know partially uh, you know long term transition from live tournaments now to uh, at least enabling a, what is now a very very large global community to mm-hmm. come together and uh, kind of not well-known by a lot of folks is that um, I invented all the games, right, that we throw today. Uh, Mm -hmm. I I wouldn't have believed it looking back in 1996 when I sat down and, you know, in those days, we just threw accuracy. Uh, AKTA was an accuracy tournament. uh, Then that was all you did. You went out there and you threw dots all day. Aiming for the bullseye and that's it. That was it. Yeah, and for points. Um, They hadn't invented the... uh, the, Mike Bainton much later invented the Gold Cup, which was a great uh, innovation where you climb the pyramid one-on-one. Uh, but it was still accuracy even then. Mm-hmm. But in my time, uh, when I formed the PKT out west, I felt really strongly that there had to be other things we could do for audience. Uh, because uh, it's pretty tedious to watch people just throw out dots all day. It's kind of like watching archery. I, right. uh, cool sport if you're totally into it. But if you're sitting in an audience staring at it, it's going to... You're going to be a zombie after five hours, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, I invent, in one day, I sat down and drafted a whole bunch of contests. It was fa- fast draw, long distance, uh, obstacle course, which has come and gone over the years, uh, silhouette, which in my time I called impalement, uh, throwing around the human form uh, mm-hmm. on a board, um, the uh, speed throw, how many uh, sticks you can do at 20 seconds. So I sat down and wrote all this stuff in one day, published all the rules, invented them, and they all took off. Uh, and what's really strange for me is looking back on it today, is 24 years later, basically all these contests still exist. Uh, they've added a few others, Texas uh, Three-Step and a few other really cool ones. Uh, mm-hmm. Walker Cross is a great invention. Uh, but overall, I mean, the guys in Europe, all across the Euro throwers, as well as the... Uh, the Hall of Fame still basically throw the rules I made up in one afternoon in 1996. Um, and had I known that, and this is kind of the transition to the AIM games, what I tell folks is that had I known in 1996 that we would still be throwing these games 24 years later, I would have made up a lot more games. 
I would have made up a lot more. And and that's sort of what the end games is, is me waking up one day five years ago and realizing, you know what, uh, we need more stuff. And yeah. um, you would think today, you know, with COVID and what's going on out there that I invented it for what we're doing. You know, it seems like it was drafted exactly for shelter in place rules, but mm-hmm. in reality, it's a pure coincidence. I invented it five years ago and launched it really for a completely different set of reasons. It was uh, to bring the world together. We have throwers now, 6,400 registered throwers in Indonesia alone that, of course, very few people know well and will ever get a chance to throw against in a live tournament. Mm -hmm. Uh, Clubs have now grown because of this in Sweden and Italy in, well, Italy was already well formed. But Sweden has come up uh, thanks to Marcus Pert and that group in Arboga yeah. uh, simply because of the end games. I mean, they literally didn't exist and they've come out of nowhere. And uh, now That's another amazing. group uh, forming in Scotland around uh, the, the magic man, uh, uh, Derek Hutchison um, uh, out of Perth, Scotland. This guy is another perfect example of why I do this. And that is these characters come out of the woodwork, come out of nowhere. That like you read about in books, mm-hmm. like where does this guy come from? How is it <laughs> possible that we could be doing this for 25 years? And now here's a guy like Derek Hutchison, who nobody knows, came out of no place. And I, I have this theory that everyone in Scotland is just a natural wizard at throwing stuff. <laughs> he keeps bringing in his kids and his neighbors. And they all throw better than I do after you know, after 20 minutes. It's very strange. I think I watched but, one of the uh, K-15 videos. of I don't know if it was him or his son, but man, just every throw just right on point unbelievable yeah i mean watching these guys throw i mean this guy is a natural wizard at throwing into one inch dots uh, we met another guy recently uh jim he calls himself jimmy mo online his name is jimmy molinari an awesome guy again out of nowhere i never heard of this guy till this year now we're good friends but i'm my goodness actually i started talking to him when i was in china last year but I mean, again, he got 10th place in the end games on a, in this last one, K-15, out of 425 entries. And uh, Hutchison got second. And he was, he's been in the top, uh, certainly in the top 10, all three of his uh, end games after oh. coming out of third place. And you're talking about between 380 and 425 entries. It's, it's insane to be that good, you know, when you really have to do it for real. There's no, mm-hmm. there's no ambiguity here. If you do the end games... You know, uh, uh, there are lots of great throwers in the world who are choosing for whatever reason not to do the end games. And mm-hmm. uh, I, I, I guess what interesting commentary would be, uh, I, I heard something Joe said the other day, and it was so well put. He was talking about the idea of certain pros being able to be challenged to, somebody said they could do a thousand throws in a row in a certain way. And I've used that challenge for years because I do throw impalement uh, behind the scenes. I've done 188 shows. I, I, you know, if you look up Rick Lemberg Perfection, You'll see an article that describes that I've, I've been perfect my whole life that way. I've never missed. And what I tell people when I train in this is I want to see 100. You know, I, mm-hmm. you can challenge me when I'm in the zone throwing around, uh, you know, something that requires perfection. You know, I, I have my secrets. And one of mine is that I throw 900 throws in a row uh, into a tiny little dot before I get up on stage and do a performance show. And that's the wow. very big difference between what we do in competition mm-hmm. and what we do in performance. 
Right. And when I hear guys doing anything that could be dangerous or uncomfortable in the sport, uh, that's what I challenge them. I, I've seen it in some of the uh, axe throwing videos online too. And that's, mm-hmm. good. you know, if you're that good, you're going to do something crazy like that on a video to show yourself, then good. Just make a video of you doing it a hundred times in a row into a false target first. Let's see you do that. Right. You should never miss. You're going to never miss, then great. You know, you're a superstar of the universe, but otherwise. But you know, if you miss once, then that could be uh, injuring someone or, or worse. Yeah, we don't want to. The last thing in the world we want as a sport is to see injuries happen. And uh, right. we already have this stigma, right? Because we're called knife throwing. We're called yeah. knife throwing. You know, I've always joked that if archery was called sharp arrow jabbing or sticking. Well, <laughs> sharp stick, a, sharp yeah, stick throwing. Right? Yeah, the fencing was sword fighting. You know, they might mm-hmm. have a stigma too, but it, right. it's not. And but knife throwing, there really is no other name. So we're just like, <laughs> so uh, you know, we have to fight this stigma all our lives that mm-hmm. this is really just a a pure accuracy sport. And uh, yes, it does, as Joe said, and others have said, it does have a combat and martial arts base to it. But mm-hmm. I guess to put it mildly, as you mentioned, I I did training with the Marine Corps out of Pendleton and high mountain camps for nine years. And you, you can list on one hand the approved scenarios for a Marine to throw their K-bar away right, in, right. In, in a field scenario. It's so rare. Mm-hmm. Mostly what I teach is field expedient weapons, uh, which uh, for those not familiar is simply the idea that everything is a weapon uh, or there are accessible weapons all around you in life and how to okay. use them. And I train in the two-second scenario, which is you have two seconds to live. Mm-hmm. Here's here's the scenario I put you in. What do you do? Wow, that's amazing. So, so maybe yeah. we should back back up the aim games a little bit. Uh, sure. So I looked up the stats on the latest aim games, but do you remember what the first one was? How many people you had throwing in? Or sure, yeah. Well, I mean, it goes back a long way. So you know, as I said, five years, twenty tournaments, plus twenty-one of the or 20 of the now of the superstars tournaments, which are separate. Mm-hmm. But the very first one was actually, it uh, wasn't, uh, I did a reorder number thing recently just to make it all click right with the numbers. It was called the ultimate bullseye challenge. And that was one I just did as a test one uh, online to see how it would go. But of course for the end games, for those who are not familiar. Yeah. Maybe uh, we should have backed up even right? further. <laughs> yeah. Well, our yeah. basic rules are that you're doing this online, right? With two key rules. One is that, you and the target are always on camera, uh, okay. except when you're moving the tar- the camera um, with the knives still in the board, right? So you make a throw, you might need to do move the camera to a close-up or to um, adjust something. Well, then you don't have to be on camera, but you know the, the knives have to be in a static position. Then uh, you, and you don't turn the camera off, right? So from the beginning of the, of the uh, entry until the end of the entry, the camera's always running. One solid video for the whole thing. Yeah. Got so there's no way to cheat, uh, and no yeah. one ever has. Uh, and we've now had, uh, gosh, I've, I do all the reviews myself. Currently, I do the whole thing myself, and I've never had any help on it um, as far as the production, the rules, the prize infrastructure, the shipping, you name it. I, I do the whole thing. And um, we started with that one. That was one by J.W. Wiseman, who's now in Texas, out of Buffalo, Texas, a fantastic world-class thrower, a longtime friend. And I'll always say longtime friend because I've known all these people so long. Mm-hmm. Uh, and 
then we actually formalized the AIM games with K1. And we have two series, K for knife and H for hawk. Oh, there you go. Yeah. I was wondering, so I was wondering why the K was there. <laughs> yeah, well, we didn't have axe. The axe throwing world hadn't grown up yet. So we really, we didn't consider what we were throwing axes at that time. It was really just tomahawks. Uh, mm-hmm. We always been uh, with our sort of a Native American um, uh, instructional background in our sport. So, uh, yeah, we, we came up, I came up with these two protocols, and uh, K1 was the first formal AIM games in 2016, and in those days, I modeled it after our cutthroat stuff from Vegas, and one thing I was going to say about Vegas in those days was that, unlike today, um, we cut to eight, so in other words, you would have 100, 125 guys show up, men and women throw, and mm-hmm. they would throw 20 throws, and the top eight would go on, and that was it. I mean, if you were, so you would train all year and showed up to Vegas for the world championships. And if you weren't in the top eight after 20 throws, you were done. Pressure so, down, and these, yeah. And these guys who got ninth, 10th, 11th, they were pissed, man. They didn't like mm-hmm. uh, training all year to get in those positions, but it was cutthroat. It was just the way we, it was the way I did it. I, I wanted people to prove themselves and fight for it. And it, it, it did develop into what I called back then kind of the village idiot syndrome where it sort of ended up with Dara and, and Bailey and myself and a handful of others who ended up kind of always making the top eight. Um, mm-hmm. And that it felt uncomfortable after years, so we changed it. Well, the first eight games was the same way. K1, uh, I only published the top 20. I didn't track how many people entered because we just didn't know. Okay. Uh, but that one was a cool one because it really challenged, again, something Dara brought up the other day, and that is how many throws in a row can one guy stick, right? So K1 was how many, from two meters throwing the half spin, the closest throw and knife throwing, super mm-hmm. close, how many times could you stick the same four-inch dot in a row without a miss on camera? Four-inch dot, okay. Well, that turned into a bit of a hassle because certain uh, certain numbers of us can do it really, really well. And I had no clue how good we really were to <laughs> put it on camera. And Pat Minter, uh, who is called The Machine, uh, mm-hmm. Uh, he's retired now from competition, but oh man, he was still blazing. Uh, he kind of came out of semi-retirement for this just to prove what he could do uh, mm-hmm. in Texas. And I, I'm quite sure this was his first his first remote tournament ever. Anyway, he and I kind of went at it over a period of weeks uh, because I, I couldn't leave him alone out in front. And uh, though I, I'm, I'm prize exempt, I always have been from the very beginning. I don't accept any prizes for the end games. Uh, so if, if I win or anything happens, that my prize just slides down to the next guy, right? But uh, uh, we went at it, and it ended up where he won this thing, and he hit 368 consecutive throws. Oh, my god! Four-inch dot without a miss on camera, on live camera. I hit 270, which – and Chris Miller uh, uh, out of Texas got, I think, 156 off the top of my head. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I'm right. So then there were others who did over 100. So, you know, how many of us can do that? I mean, Chris Miller is an impalement artist, too. He he tours around with, uh, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Band-Aids and Blades with his wife. Uh, you know, he's a highly regarded uh, prison uh, security guy out of Texas, but he, uh, mm-hmm. he, he also throws knives like I do. Well, I mean, this was the birth of the AIM Games. And after that, that was the only tournament that I did not track everybody then i realized okay. that's no fun 21st 22nd that's right. no fun for these people but i think we had about 100 throws in that one a lot of people came out for that one because it was super easy mm-hmm. 
And since then, now I've done every single AIM Games has been different. We have done 20 AIM Games. This next one is number 20, and every one has been a different game. They are mm. not the same in any real way. Right. Well, I'm uh, guilty, unfortunately, of just finding out about this in the last couple of weeks here. So I missed out on K15. I think I would have done pretty well on that one, but ah, just missed it. But uh, well, the other so, great thing is that you have 80 days. So yeah. you know, like virtually every other martial arts tournament in the world, uh, and we do consider ourselves martial arts and sports throwing because uh, we have a ton of martial arts in, martial arts in the tournament, mm-hmm. um, uh, that... We we have some really special stuff going on in the AIM games. One is that we're the, one of the few sports in the world where men and women compete together mm-hmm. uh, as a single overall group, and we've had numerous uh, women beat the men, uh, either win outright world championships in our sport live or um, or uh, come very close. Uh, I, I got to watch uh, Amy Elliott out of Canada come in second place out of the, in the Gold Cup uh, in Canada uh, last year, 2019, amazing throwing. So uh, we're really, and she's a great in-game thrower. Um, just some fantastic stuff comes out of this thing. It's really, uh, I mean, not just the the games themselves, which are which seem pretty pretty fun and pretty uh, imaginative, but also the prize pool and also the participation. I'm just looking right here. Your last one had 425 validated entries and. A record tw- 212 athletes. That is amazing. Yeah, and the way that plays out, thank you, uh, is that um, you have 80 days. And the goal of the AIM games, uh, and you know we have 19 free, fairly substantial, uh, representing thousands and thousands of dollars, 19 free uh, random drawings that begin two weeks after the tournament starts, and they run three every two weeks. And the reason we do that is to inspire beginners and intermediates to enter and continue this process because uh, unlike other martial arts tournaments that's what i was going to mention also is that we you don't train all year and enter the aim games in one day we run 80 days with a very tough challenge each one has a different game a different challenge and it starts out really easy virtually anybody who throws sport throwing can enter an aim games and get what we call a baseline score get a couple of points get mm-hmm. on the board get entered into all 19 of the drawings and you're in all 19 of them. So we have people who win more than one. I was going to ask that. So in order to be eligible for the random drawing, you just have to submit one score, one score. And that's it. You're in the whole way. So for people to enter early, it's a great thing. If you enter in the first two weeks, you're in all of them. Otherwise you're just obviously going to be in the ones that you happen to be uh, a participant in at the time moving forward. So the odds obviously of winning those things go way uh, right, up as right. more and more people enter. But you noted on there 425 uh, validated entries and 212 athletes. And the way this works is you have 80 days, the entire run of each tournament, to improve on your personal best. That's what the AIM Games is all about. It's not about the prizes per se and uh, the money or um, you know winning for the course of winning only. What this is about is personal development of throwing skills and right. preservation and promotion of the sport. Mm-hmm. So that means that, you know, you'll notice on the score sheet next to everybody's score, there's a little green number in a, in a, in a circle. It's always green. It's always to the left of their score. That's how many times they improved, how many entries they did during the course of the uh, tournament. And you'll note on the top scores, the top 40, I think like 36 of them improved. It was really tough to be in our top 40. 
mm-hmm. without improving over and over and over. And certainly all of the top 10 did, and I think all the top 20 did as well. So it, it's very crucial. And more than that, it develops these throwers. So all of a sudden, we're seeing, not all of a sudden, but over the last five years, we're seeing aim gamers going to the world championships and just blowing people out because they've just right. been 80 days working on their double spin hawk or, you mm-hmm. know, 80 days working on only their, um, you know, their precise lateral movement or up and down movement control and stuff like that. So when they go to a live tournament, they're just machines compared to what they were before. Yeah, and scores have gone up all around the world as a, as a part of it. And the way ours work is at the end, at the end of 80 days, that's when the scores matter. That's when, you know, we give out all the prizes, top 20 certificates, top 10 you know, magnificent multi-thousand dollar prizes, and then uh, the top five women. Uh, we started out with women's prizes just last year for the first time. It was suggested by one of our tour groups, and uh, uh, I adopted it slowly. First, I did first place, then first, second, third. And then I made a rule that for every 10 women who enter who are live in the tournament, uh, when we get to each milestone, I'll add another one. And sure enough, in hmm. K- K-15, we, the record was 36 women in a tournament globally. And we went to 56 in K-15 last month. So wow. I've added a fourth place and a fifth place, not only to that tournament, but to, to all our tournaments going forward to challenge the women. That Good. If you get 60 women in the next one, I'll add a sixth place. And we'll keep going all the way to 10th, just like we do with the men. or with, Not men, but overall. Right. I only say men because we've never had a woman finish in the top 10. Uh, it's not because of skill set or any of that stuff. It's mostly because we get you know, 75, 80% men in the AIM games. Mm-hmm. But that has changed. Or it used to be 90, but now it's women coming in everywhere. And sure enough, uh, uh, just an absolute demon thrower out of uh, Columbus, Ohio, Lauren Dennis, got, uh, got 19th place in this AIM games, which was the hardest ever and when you look at the stats you're talking about 96th percentile to get 19th mm-hmm. place right? out of 425 19th place is amazing and out of 50 you know i pointed out the stats i'm kind of a stat freak that you know, she got first place out of 56 women that's 96th percentile also so she actually got 96th percentile in overall and in them in the men, and was one of the few to uh amazing you win multiple uh, uh, certificates. You got a certificate mm-hmm. for 19th place and a certificate for winning the women's plus, God, I don't know, $2,500 in prizes. So mm-hmm. Substantial pile of stuff. So if someone wants to start doing this, they follow you on Facebook. Is that the best way? Yes. Yeah, so we have a Rick the Rocket uh, headquarters page, but that's really just for the rules. I ask everyone to always do all in-game activities on my personal Facebook page, which is super easy to find. Just look up the in-games Rick Lemberg or on mm-hmm. Facebook. You're going to find me real fast. And uh, yeah, there's nothing to join. There's nothing to sign up. This is simply your entry is your entry. There's some basic rules we post saying, of course, with all the legal mumbo jumbo that, uh, you know, you entering the AIM games means we get to use your image and all that good stuff. But uh, other than that, we, we don't sell data. We don't participate with any outsiders um, at this time. Uh, so it's literally just you show up, you enter a video, and then you're on the board and you improve. And we, I, not we, I, I like to say we because I don't take all the attention to myself, but I review every single video myself. That was going to be my next question. You literally validate the points on every video, huh? Everyone, yep. Uh, 
Yeah, I'm actually chairman of a pretty large company, but for me, I don't measure time the way other people do. So you'll see me on there validating videos at three in the morning on, on work days. I, I just do it. I don't, mm. you know, to me, all things in life are the same. It doesn't really, if I'm committed to do it, it doesn't mm-hmm. matter to me whether I'm you know running a board meeting or, or you know, I, I was not known to many of the recent in-gamers like, before all this hit a lot of our business is in china and colombia and i was in china and colombia 200 days in 2019 and i still ran mm. the games all year and uh, i did the whole thing off of vpn from china and it was <laughs> four cities didn't matter I, yeah I stay up all night and do the end games that's incredible and i'm looking at just looking right now at some of the price packs just amazing stuff if you guys have never seen the aim games out there you really need to check this out and try to get one of your baseline scores in there because these prize packs are just unbelievable i think we are arguably the largest martial arts tournament in world history now uh, certainly the largest sports throwing tournament we've mm-hmm. i mean obviously uh, you know you could maybe make a case that tournaments that take place with 75 contests in them might be bigger but the idea of uh, one single contest tournament with 425 entries, and uh, we've had a total of 26 countries. Um, and as an example, with H5 coming up that launches on Friday the 16th, it'll run until January 4th, 2021, 80 days. Uh, we have $20,000 in prizes, uh, uh, over 20000 plus free shipping of all prizes globally, as do all the end games. Uh, we can't pay your customs fees, but we do pay all the shipping. Mm-hmm. And um, that includes over 110 implements, over 110 free custom aim games, uh, throwing knives from some of the greatest makers in the world, Bimo Sekti Sankoro out of, uh, out of Indonesia, one of the mm-hmm. makers who just makes stunning knives. I've had over 500 made by him, so just an amazing guy uh, who makes these mirror polished knives by hand sanding them, not with chrome, but by and sanding, uh, using stock removal too, just remarkable. Uh, uh, Stucky out of the uh, Angel Fire knives, uh, mm-hmm. uh, C Carmack out of uh, SP uh, Knife Company, um, as well as uh, Rob Crozier um, uh, out of Tennessee. These are ju- the sponsors of Just K15 Knives, uh, uh, guys who've uh, participated with me. Uh, in customization work, lasers, uh, laser uh, engraving, all kinds of great uh, mm-hmm. customized add-ons, all this stuff. I buy the knives and, and, and hawks. I don't, uh, I don't want vendors to lose money over me. Uh, it just doesn't seem right. So I do buy them, um, but at the same time, they all are so generous. They, they all donate just all kinds of stuff to make it special and spectacular, mm-hmm. and that to me, uh, is just the perfect example of our global community. And for the low, low entry price of absolutely zero dollars, these are pretty amazing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for <laughs> sure. Amazing no, I, mean, no, I, I don't like amazing really mixing it up with what I do. So, mm-hmm. yeah, money's annoying. So, uh, and besides, I'm egotistical enough to say that uh, when you make, when you, you know, avoid money in stuff like this, I get to make all the rules. Nobody gets to come to me and tell me how to run my show. True. Uh, And I believe we've done it right. I I believe the end games has been flawless for uh, now 19 tournaments. We've never, all our surprises have been delivered all over the world. Never had a missing one. Um, 
you know, people uh, have fun trying to open my packages and they make fun of them because they're like bubble wrapped cocoons. <laughs> but I do that in order to make sure all these knives and implements and everything else always make it to Switzerland and Indonesia and so on. They, they, they have to make it. Otherwise wow. it's a waste of time. So yeah, I, I, I make sure it's all what I like to call it is a uh, culture of over delivery. Just make sure it all works. Yeah. So let's talk about H5 a little bit. I don't know how much you want to say. I'm going to leave it completely up to you. I'm not going to ask anything. I'll leave it <laughs> what you want to say. But this one's for Tomahawks with the H in front of it. So, Yeah, well, I like to leak stuff right before the tournament launches. And if we do this one timely, this will come out just the day before uh, uh, H5 or thereabouts. And uh, so H5 is a Tomahawk tournament, uh, Tomahawks and Axes. Um, we have a standard measuring thing, and that's already uh, up. Uh, you can see or ask any thrower in the end games has been there, what our measurements are, and uh, that's really straightforward. One thing I will mention is the way we measure hawks and uh, axes in the end games is from the extreme tip of the blade to the extreme end of the handle. So the furthest two distance, uh, the furthest distance you can find from tip to tip of the hawk, that's the way we do it. We don't okay. have anything to do with how long your handle is. Or We do have a four and a half inch maximum blade length. But in K5, in H5, rather, I will tell you, you do not want to have a really wide hawk blade. Mm -hmm. You want to have a narrow one because uh, this one will probably benefit somewhat from not having a huge one. But I can tell you this, that this one, like so many aim games, I like to make it simple on the target so that it doesn't require a lot of setup hassle. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, pretty darn amazing and complicated and original when it comes to the actual rules. It's not super complicated, but I'll tell you this, that the maximum size for a target in H5 will be 18 by 18 inches. Okay. Uh, you will probably, if you have an ideal target, you want some boundary around that too. Okay. Because you'll be able to cross the line and still have it count. Yeah. Um, the only other thing I'll tell you, because I, I, I can't tell you about placement or the rules or any of the rest, is that um, amazingly this tournament, which will be totally original, will only have placement of three one-inch dots uh, on a on an 18-inch square target. That's it. So you'll be able to use mm. your normal target. It, you know, if you got circles on it or all the rest, won't matter. Uh, I'm, I'm going to have you put three dots, and they're going to have to go in an exact placement. Right. So uh, that part I can say right now because uh, the placement's not being announced yet. And uh, and this is an action tomahawk tournament. So uh, this is, a, we call it the tower. The last one was called the shield, and as the hundreds of people who participated in it know, it was throwing walk across uh, first right to left, then low to high, and then uh, required accuracy in a three in a one inch dot three times three attempts, and those were worth less and less points, 15, 10, and five each time you mm -hmm. tried it. Well, in this case, uh, the three dot theory, uh, the three throw theory, will come into play again into one inch dots from your tomahawks and axes, but in this case. Um, it's going to have some spectacular scoring rules that will make it, well, I'll put it to you this way, that as the thrower progresses in this particular challenge, which is fantasy of climbing a tower and then descending this tower, mm -hmm. uh, by accomplishing the tower, uh, each throw is worth more than the last so okay. it means that they are going to be just tortured with the idea of, man, if, if I can get this one more <laughs> in there, it's worth more points than any of this run done up till now. Mm -hmm. and that, so reaching those barriers, and that'll be throughout both directions, how this thing works, it's going to challenge people. So unlike the last one where I think the, 
the most we got out of it was 56 points. This one could go into the hundreds of points, and yet it's really still going to be, I think, 20 throws or less. I'm, if anybody gets over 20 throws in this one, I'm going to be very impressed. So, Elad, I do have a question. Uh, how many hawks or axes would a person need to do this? I'm asking for myself because I need to go buy some because I've never thrown tomahawks before. But uh, this is going to have a maximum. That's a good question. I can answer it too. This is going to have a maximum of two tomahawks. Okay. So you you're, you can use one or you can use two, and the one that you throw can be used as a marker left in, or you can pull it out and use. Uh, we'll be recommending using either tape, visible tape or uh, like a playing card. Uh, yeah. You'll be able to use either one in this. And that's it, though. Uh, other okay. than a um, one other tiny piece of equipment that every single human being has uh, and won't have to go buy, uh, that's it for, for uh, H5. There will not be any other additional equipment awesome. requirements. Uh, I don't like to use too many implements in a single tournament, and the reason is because we don't want to see people in, in the axe and hawk world we don't want to see them break their hands mm -hmm. and if you, if you end up with a tournament like we've done aim games where hey, if you want to you can throw nine knives you don't have to retrieve you can just keep going mm -hmm. um, uh, you know h1 the one i described where it's how many can you throw from you know half spin into a into a target we allowed that there you can throw nine knives if you wanted to and not retrieve any of you can right. stack them up. <laughs> anything you want keep it going uh, very few people did that almost mm -hmm. everybody who did well one at a time because it's in the Focused on, but anyway, that's that's about as much as I can say about H5. Okay. But uh, uh, it'll be it'll be awesome, and I'm fairly comfortable that we will again, as we have the last three in a row, we will shatter all uh, historic records mm -hmm. for a sports throwing tournament in this one. I think we, this one has a real good shot of seeing 500 entries because, as we touched on earlier, the growth of the axe and tomahawk world mm -hmm. has been exceptional. Um, the last one we did H4 was won uh, by uh, the U.S. National uh, Axe Throwing Champion, Mike Kump, out of um, Philadelphia, wow. who's you know part of the World Axe Throwing League. So, in okay. fact, his teammates, um, Will Galatko and uh, uh, Dave out there, uh, uh, one of his, uh, Dave Kaikon, uh, if I got his name pronounced right, he, uh, these guys uh, all were top five. Um, so you had uh, professional axe guys coming out for the first time really in one of our axe tournaments, uh, maybe because of the remote thing, uh, but yeah. so so us knife guys are going to have to really step our game up, right? <laughs> well, I should mention that uh, we have a super champion, right? We have a secondary pro, uh, uh, tournament series, tournaments within the tournaments that are called the Superstar Challenge, and uh, I kind of dredged this up based on the old superstars of the 70s where they would take stop at, star athletes and then have them do something else that they weren't a star at. Well, here I do these secondary short tournaments that run two weeks with the idea that you can win superstar rank. And though you'll see a lot of superstars on our score sheets now, the only way you can earn a superstar at all is either to win an in-games outright, first place out of a whole crew, uh, either in women's or men's, or uh, uh, to win a superstar challenge, which in most of them, only two people win. So now we've now had maybe five of them that were open tournaments hmm. where anybody who managed to finish this ridiculous challenge wins the superstar. <laughs> uh, well, Paul Macarone, Big Mac out of Ithaca, New York, uh, has set, you know, first we had Pat Minter who won three in games in a row uh, early on. He won K1, K2, and K3. Uh, now we had Paul Macarone step up and he won 12 in games in a row. 
<laughs> and uh, he was only beaten finally by these axe guys in the last tomahawk thing. So when you're talking about axe knife throwers having to step up, you are dead right. These guys, mm-hmm. you know, these guys take this on with the fervor that I used to play golf. Mm-hmm. And they are just obsessed, true world-class experts. I mean, Paul himself, gosh knows, I he's probably won, you know, 10 live world championships. I've lost track. Uh, and sure enough, you know, I mean, for him to win this thing, you know, against hundreds of people there repeatedly, it's so tough. And sure enough, he just won. Uh, he came back and won his 22nd star, 22. The most, the most, the most I have of anybody in the end games beyond him is seven. And we have three guys with seven right now. Mm. Um, lots of multi-star winners, but I, I still haven't won one. I, I'm exempt from the superstars. I exempt <laughs> myself. So the only way I can yeah. win one is to win an end games outright which the highest i've done in second place so <laughs> someday i'll earn my own superstar but the only way i'll be to win the whole thing wow amazing well i can't wait and uh like i said i've don't have any experience with hawks but i'm hoping this will be a good learning platform for me to finally get into it oh i think you'll have a lot of fun and uh the, one of the great things about it is you really get to meet and see others great throwers from all over the world doing exactly what you're trying to do so you'll see styles and ranges, uh, everything from the jungles of Indonesia to, um, uh, you know, really classy European ones. I mean, just fantastic stuff. All different people, different styles, different implements, all doing the exact same challenge for 80 straight days. Hmm. Very exciting. Great. Well, we are kind of uh, maybe 10, 15 minutes left, but uh, you mentioned that you're putting together an awesome knife throwing museum or at least your own collection there you want to talk about that at all or what kind of your favorite pieces or most interesting things you might have or things you're looking for whatever for sure uh yeah well we have a museum it's called the rocket collection uh uh, and you know the rocket thing just so you know i didn't make this up myself Uh, i've always felt like strongly that you uh, you have to have a nickname assigned to you and we've actually got a lot of great throwers around who are still lacking nicknames, but somebody actually has to come to you and say, okay, here's your nickname. And it happened to me, uh, thanks to a really great old friend, uh, Trevor Gattenby out of uh, Missouri, uh, came up with this name after I had started training astronauts back in 2013. And I actually went to the astronauts and asked them permission. I said, you know, can you, is that okay? Can I call myself a rocket? Because, uh, you know, it was That's kind of their thing, right? There was already the rocket. It was like, ah. You know, Rick uh, Mastracchio, I think, is the rocket. I, I didn't really want to upstage our, our, my personal heroes. But they said, great, no, awesome, go for it. And uh, so that, that's how the whole rocket thing started. <laughs> so the rocket collection um, really came about from just, you know, first, you know, what you already know about me as obsessive guy. So I just started collecting knives uh, years ago. I was always a collector. My wife and I have been together, I think, since birth. So we're, yeah, we've been together since we were 15. So uh, right. I'll be 60 next month. So uh, that pretty much qualifies. And uh, so we've all, you know, we loved collecting knives anyway, uh, but we collected all kinds. And then over the years, once this whole knife throwing morass rabbit hole began uh, in the 90s, I transitioned the collection to just throwing implements and, uh, you know, getting to know super knowledgeable guys like Bobby Branton and uh, 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 David Adamovich uh, also studies the history of the great Throdini and throws out of Coney Island and uh, the East Coast as a professional. 
uh, Scott Gracia, the great Throzini. There's there's Throdini and Throzini, different guys. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, Tommy Hawk out of New Jersey and Texas, and uh, uh, Bob Carp, the master of the blade. Scott Gracia, getting to know these guys uh, uh, well, and of course the great old masters. Uh, you know, Chichi White Cloud uh, uh, taught me so much about the history of the sport and the art, um, and the uh, students like John Bailey, who studied under uh, under McAvoy, as did as, as did uh, uh, of course uh, Bobby Branton and uh, Joe Dara. Uh, I never met McAvoy myself. I just know his son Steve a little bit. Uh, but all of this led me to uh, Ed Koch, a whole bunch of other really great guys. Uh, led me to starting to collect the knives of the great makers uh, in knife throwing and knife throwing history. And once it got over, say, a thousand pieces or so, I sort of took over the living room of my house. The kids moved on. Uh, my kids are uh, 27 of the youngest. So at this point, so, uh, yeah, once they moved out permanently, we kind of I took over the upstairs of the house and started displaying <laughs> knives everywhere. And, and I mean, a lot of knives. And then um, uh, this transition happened where we started really remodeling because of getting locked up these last 10 months. Mm -hmm. so, uh, I'm used to traveling, as I mentioned, a lot, so hundreds of days a year. So uh, for me, being cooped up for 10 months meant, okay, let's remodel the whole house. <laughs> so uh, that's what we've been doing, uh, all kinds of crazy projects. Um, and one of them finally enabled me to bust a Star Trek door. Actually, it's happening this next month between um, what was a very large bedroom in our house and this second garage I've got in the back where I store this race car I've got. And, um, gee, that's something uh, else we need to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I got the new GT 500, the carbon, uh, track back. So, uh, the 2020, so I've got that back there. Yes. And, uh, uh, so, um, yeah. So now this giant two room area is becoming the rocket collection museum. And, Oh, I went to Berg, which is the old group, a hundred year old group out of the Midwest that does, uh, they got in Nebraska that does these uh, rotating displays, you know, where you touch the button on top and it makes the trays rotate. Right, right. Well, I had them make me one and I got that coming <laughs> in now, and I got these, you know, LED lights that will light up different, uh, different uh, makers and hmm. uh, I'm doing the interviews with all the old timers so that they can tell their stories in a video while their knives light up around the room and that kind of stuff. Wow. So um, it's going to be quite automated. I'm a Silicon Valley guy, and we're pretty pretty advanced as far as technology and this stuff. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, it's going to be a real museum in the house. And, uh, so open, open to the public one day? Well, it's open to all our, our throwing global community. So we, mm -hmm. during normal times, you know, my friends, Crazy Rolf and Rena out of uh, Switzerland and it doesn't matter where you're from, uh, from California, across the country, around the world. You know, we have an open house. People can come and visit our collections as long as we're in, in the country and I'm around. Uh, people are welcome to set up their visits to San Francisco, come by, visit us, uh, maybe even stay overnight. But either way, uh, uh, make sure you tour the collection. And, uh, mm -hmm. you know, we're, we're obviously we're not a formal museum that we're charging money or any of that stuff. But this will get donated to the Smithsonian or another worthy group. We have over 5,000 pieces now. So it's, it's really, uh, you know, the history of the sport I acquired thanks to Bobby Branton and other great guys, uh, Paiute Ed Brown out of Texas, who was the, gave us the missing link of the history of the sport from the 1970s, which was missing for decades. It turned out he had the whole thing. 
And so I've got all the original files, all the original charters of the Native American Knife Throwers Association that was tied into out of Oklahoma in the 1970s to the AKTA and Harry McAvoy. I have the original Gray Otter Skeeter Vaughn collections, uh, as well as uh, history of the sport going back hundreds of years uh, from the Chichi White Cloud and others. So, yeah, it's really a substantial museum that I will, you know, here living on the beach, we're right on the ocean. Um, part of my hobby is polishing knives, just like watching. I, I watch reviews on one hand and then I polish knives on the other. So they, they say when you're painting the Golden Gate Bridge, you have to go and uh, start again. As soon as you finish right, the end, right. it takes so darn long, you have to start the other end. Yeah. Same thing with the rocket collections. Every day I go down there and I'll pull up <laughs> 10 knives that show some form of surface rust. And I take them up and I polish them like brand new again. And by mm. doing that continually, I can keep thousands and thousands of implements always pristine. Well, sounds like you're going to have to hire a staff at some point. <laughs> well, uh, to finish today, I know we're running low on time. I'll say that uh, that's where we're heading with the end games is that uh, I do Hollywood work. Um, I have a TV show. Uh, I've done over 100 hours of live TV. I was the shopping hmm. guy in Nashville for years and stuff that we haven't had time to chat about today. But um, I'd always rather talk about what we're doing than the old right. you know, who is Rick Lemberg stuff. But but I did the Survivor TV show. I've done, you know, I've performed with Elton John and uh, uh, Billy Idol and Sam Smith just in the last three years. Um, I do a lot of background stuff that is not well publicized, but if you look it up on the internet, you'll see it. Um, you know, lots of old time TV shows. And the AIM Games is heading that way. So we have a sponsor. We have a studio in Hollywood who's looking to take it over. Uh, and we have a, a an auction, a, a disruptive major league gold and gold bullion and rare coin auction that launches in, hmm. on TV uh, globally on a global network uh, in uh, November. So they've assured me that the next thing happening will be the end games. And that means that my goal will be for 2021 to hand this over to Hollywood to make it a paid sport, enable our people to get paid like golf, where everybody gets paid, but those who perform best in live end games on television. Amazing. And, you know, I want to turn this into a multi-million dollar paid sport that we actually get to hand over to the big show in Hollywood and let mm -hmm. them pay for it and let them run it. So wow. back to the early discussion, I do have a plan. And the plan is to make our sport the real thing. We've seen axe throwing do it in a way that, mm -hmm. in my opinion, could be improved. And it's primarily because, they're again, just throwing at dots. Well, the games are exciting and there's a lot of different things going on. And that's what I do. And I'm... If nothing else, I guess the, the master of the games. And that's, uh, <laughs> I'm going to take it from there and hopefully turn it into something that people will look back on and it'll outlive all of us. Mm -hmm. Amazing. Well, I do thank you. I know you're a super busy guy and I appreciate your time today and I'm very much looking forward to H5 and seeing everybody's submissions and seeing how much better scores people are getting than I am, <laughs> which is well, part of the you. fun, I think, giving you a place to go to. Somewhere that well, you I really know. appreciate it. It's uh, great to have the uh, media attention on what we're doing. And, uh, of course, you and your family and friends and everybody in the world listening to this are completely and totally welcome to join the AIM Games. The last thing I'll say about it, though we do have some really cool rules posted, we are only positive. There is no negativity allowed in the AIM Games at all. Hmm. And you'll see that throughout. We've never yeah. once had a negative comment, not once in five years. Amazing. That's great to hear. Well, I feel like we could uh, 
keep talking for hours, so we'll definitely have to have you on maybe after H5 is done to go over kind of the the results and you know how you're feeling about it and if you have plans for a new one we can talk about that as well but definitely want you back and uh, i do appreciate the time sir great i appreciate that yeah and joe's gonna get mad at me because i didn't get to tell our cattle rustler stories or our uh, <laughs> uh, card throw man if i had two two minutes left i'd tell one joe Dara story oh go you know what go ahead we got it all right i'm gonna do it so joe was talking really quickly uh, briefly about his experiences in vegas and what we used to do but I'll tell you something, you know, this guy, he's, 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 he's not a normal human being, right? So <laughs> I've seen him do things that are just not normal. One of the things was uh, uh, entering obstacle course in Las Vegas where it was so difficult and you lost five seconds for every miss in a very tough tournament. Watched him walk up when we'd already had like 80 guys enter. And no one had done it in less than five minutes or so because of all the penalties. And Joe goes up and does it in a minute and 20 seconds, minute and 30 seconds. Wow. Wins the world championship. He missed like three times doing these 10 obstacles that were just impossible. Uh, so, I mean, it, you know, and we all saw it right in front of everybody. But the story I was going to say is this, that I was standing in the empty arena at the Tropicana in Las Vegas one night, looking at over the prizes that I had set up for the show the next day. And I got cocked in a cold cock back of the head you know something whacked me in the back of the head in an empty mm. arena and i spun around you know kind of martial arts just like okay who am i about to punch in the face for doing that <laughs> uh, out of the blue like that i didn't care for it and there i kid you not is joe sitting at a table sitting down in a plastic chair at a table a good 45 50 feet away i mean really far mm -hmm. laughing his head off with a couple of his friends and then I look on the ground and I realize this guy on a dare had taken a playing card, a standard playing card, sitting at that table and threw it and hit me in the back of the head on oh a dare my gosh. from 50 feet. So hard <laughs> that it actually felt like somebody punched me in the back of the head. And I, I couldn't believe it. And to this day, you know, we look back on that moment and just go, <laughs> how did, you know, this is who Joe Dara is, though. This is yeah. like, Skill set that transcends humanity. I've got lots of Joe's stories, but that one is one that's just <laughs> not Anyway, I'll let you go, but uh, thanks again for your time today. It was really fun. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate it, sir. Cheers. We'll talk soon. Okay. Bye -bye. All right. Bye. Well, there's our interview with Rick Lindbergh. And again, I'm very appreciative of his time. He's a very busy guy, very interesting guy. And what an ambassador for the sport and hobby of knife throwing. And please check out his Facebook page, which is Rick Lindbergh, L-E-M-B-E-R-G, on Friday for the updated H5 The Tower aim game. He should have all the new rules and the target templates and everything listed out there. I'm very excited for that to start and to see all of your submissions to it. Again, thank you for listening. We very much appreciate the feedback we've gotten so far. And please subscribe and rate, like, share, and we will be back with another interview guest next week. Thanks.